Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now as we open your word, we're asking that you would open our eyes, our ears, our heart to see, hear, and understand the things that you'd want to share. Help me, Lord, to get the words in the right order and the right way to convey what, is, what it is that you'd want to say today. Be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to begin Matthew chapter 24. Now, I think that this is very important because um, as you look around the church landscape, you, you'll, you'll get the feeling in, in many places that the Bible is really a group of financial principles, relationship principles, or it's a social justice principles, and all of those things are, are good. But, but one of the things that the Bible is, even more, a lot more than those things, is the Bible is a book of prophecy. The Bible tells us what's going to happen before it takes place. One of the reasons I'm here today standing before you is because years ago, I began to study Bible prophecy and I became absolutely convinced that this was uniquely true. As a matter of fact, God says um, there on your outline in Isaiah, God says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. How is it that no one is like him? He goes on to say, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. What makes the Bible and Christianity different than every other faith on the earth, every other book of faith on the earth, is that the Bible alone is the only book that is built upon predictive prophecy. That is, God says, this is what's going to happen, and it happened just as God said. There is no other book of faith on the planet that can do that. God says, I'm not the only one. There is no other. The idea is he would not allow another to be able to have prophecy, say this is what's going to happen, and it happens. God says, that's how you know that I'm true, and the others are completely false. And that's a story for another day. But chapter 24 is one of the most prophetic passages in all of the Bible, especially in the New Testament. It's also one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. And um, as, as, um, as we get into this today, as, as I um, say that it's one of the most misunderstood passages, the frustration for me is I realize that we only have so many minutes today and we're going to cover a large chunk. And so the idea is I'm not teaching a course on prophecy. I'm just going through a passage where God says, this is how it is going to be. Uh, there are other times when I do teach on prophecy, and, and, and uh, we'll certainly look at some of that over the course of the next two weeks. But, but uh, the idea is we're just going to cover a certain passage today. There's so much more because this is all contained throughout Scripture to bring in. But again, we only have so much time today. So we're going to cover chapter 24 in three parts because it's broken up into three parts. The first part is called the the overview, where Jesus gives an overview of what takes place from the time that he was on the planet for the next at least 2,000 years. And um, this is commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse there in your outline. The reason it's called that is because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives when he gives this this, uh, discourse, this, this teaching. 
The next week, uh, we're going to talk about where Jesus talks about there's a certain generation that will be in existence when Jesus comes back. And how will you know that you are in that generation or that is the generation? And we'll talk about that next week because it's very, very specific. And then after that, Jesus talks about an event that we commonly refer to as the rapture of the church. And so we're going to take the third week and we're going to talk about this is what this means, here's how it happens, and here's what the Bible has to say about it. So I think you'll find it very, very interesting. As our story begins today, Jesus is just literally a couple of days away from the crucifixion. He has been in chapters 22 and 23. He's been in sort of a a debate with the religious leaders in chapter 23. If you were here last week, he is pronouncing judgment on the religious leadership of the day there in Jerusalem. And uh, we made it all the way up in chapter 23, up to verse 36. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 37 of chapter 23, and this will kind of uh, get us caught up to date. So verse 37, this is, uh, and also important to say, this is Jesus' last public teaching, and uh, this will be the conclusion of his final public teaching on the earth. Verse 37, he concludes this by saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Keep in mind, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says, your house. Uh, Jerusalem dwells in a much larger house. That house is called Israel. It's a city in Israel. The entire house is left desolate, and that's going to take place. For behold, I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is when Jesus comes back. And we'll talk about that today. So chapter 24 begins, and it says, Jesus came out of the temple, and that's where he was teaching, and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him, saying, wow, do you see how wonderful they they are? Verse, Verse 2, he says, And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. So you you want to write this down. In the last part of chapter 23 and the first part of chapter 24, Jesus foretells that the temple would be destroyed and that Israel would cease to exist as a nation. They would be desolate. And that took place in 70 A.D., world history. Titus Vespasian, the Roman general, comes into Israel, surrounds Jerusalem, attacks Jerusalem. Jerusalem is decimated. Uh, He tells his soldiers, don't harm the temple. They were very big on preserving religious uh, temples and things of that nature. But one of his One of his soldiers has a torch, accidentally throws it into the temple. The place catches on fire. As it catches on fire, the gold on top of the temple begins to melt. And as it melts, one of the things that happens is the gold melts and it goes in between the stones of the temple, literally goes into the ground. So Titus Vespasian, the Roman general, says, you know, the temple's already destroyed. Let's don't leave the gold. Take every stone apart and dig the gold out in between. It happened exactly as Jesus said. And that was 70 AD. And from that point on, Israel ceased to exist as a nation and would not become a nation again for almost 2,000 years. So the disciples hear this. And in verse 3 it says, so as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, 
the disciples came to him privately, and I've underlined that word privately, saying, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, now very quickly, go ahead and write down, Jesus is going to be asked three questions in private. Three questions in private. The reason I say this is what Jesus is going to say is going to be given to his disciples in private. He will never teach this out in public. This is a private conversation. And uh, chapter 24, the disciples come to him and say, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They've asked three questions. Chapter 24 will answer those three questions. So when Mark tells the, the story, he says it like this. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately. And, and again, you just have four of the disciples who are part of this. Jesus will have an entourage that travels with him that probably has about two or three hundred people in the entourage. Out of that, there's a group that we would know as the 70 disciples, and they would be traveling also. Out of that, there is a smaller group. They're called the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. And then out of that group, there's even a smaller group. And it's that smaller group that comes to Jesus privately and they ask him these questions. So, and the questions are, when will these things take place? What's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so that's what Jesus is going to answer. What you need to know as we get into this, and this is kind of the punchline in this, write this down, it'll become more clear as we go. This is going to be a Jewish prophecy. You want to write that down. This prophecy is all about Israel, the temple, the nation of Israel. Uh, Their house would be desolate, some of the things that are going to happen in the future. And so for us, the idea will be to keep your eyes on Israel. And you want to write that down, keep your eyes on Israel. As it relates to Bible prophecy, always do that. One of the things that's also important for us is that in Jesus' response, the church is not mentioned. And you want to write that down. There's going to be one word that's going to be glaringly absent from this, and it's the word church, because this prophecy refers to the Jewish people. Now, certainly we will be there for part of it, but we're not mentioned in this prophecy, and that'll become more clear next week. So they've asked Jesus, what is the sign of your coming, the end of the age? And what I find so fascinating is Jesus's response, because Jesus doesn't say, why do you care about that? That's not really all that important. I mean, you know, there's so many other things that you could focus in on. You know, it all kind of pans out. Why would you even care about that? Notice Jesus's response, verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, see to it. And it's very emphatic that no one misleads you. The idea, Jesus says, I will answer your question, but see to it that no one misleads you. Now, my Bible says misleads. Uh, Some of your Bibles will say, see to it that no one deceives you. The idea is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you, but when I tell you, you are responsible for this. You're, You're responsible to know. So make sure that nobody misleads you. So then Jesus begins with an overview, and Jesus is going to give us an overview of about 2,000 years of what's going to take place. So the overview begins in verse 5, and he says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Some of your Bibles will say, deceive many. And verse 6, he says, you'll be hearing of wars, and rumors of wars see that you are not frightened. I've underlined that. For those things, very important, if you don't underline anything else, underline this, these things must take place. Does everybody see that? And he says, but that's not the end. That's not the end. So 
It says that's not the end. Now, as believers, those who would read this, um, there are two things that he would say to us in this. One, that we're not to be misled and we're not to be frightened by some of these things. So make sure. Those who are misled are often frightened by these things. And then these things must take place. We'll talk about that in a moment. So here's what's going to take place. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. However your Bible says it, I've underlined the word birth pangs. I know your Bibles might say it a little bit different. Jesus describes these events and he says they will be like birth pangs. Now after a long pregnancy, a a woman becomes pregnant and then there's this growing discomfort. And uh, as as she's pregnant there's going to be times where there's these false starts, there's contractions. But there comes a point when all of a sudden labor kicks in, the contractions begin, they become closer and closer together and more and more intense. Now ladies, did I accurately portray that? Yes? So, I mean, okay, so that's, that's an accurate, okay, so more and more intense. So he says these things are going to happen, but like labor, birth pangs, there's going to come a point after a long period of time, labor kicks in, these things are really going to begin to ramp up. So when you think about our history, it was back in the 1800s, the 1860s, that our country had the Civil War, and that was bad. But only a few decades after that, we had World War I, and that was really bad. But just a couple of decades after that, we had World War II, and that was incredibly bad. It's just more and more. Right now, our country is in the longest war in our country's, in our country's history. We're in the first war where fathers are going off to war and now sending their sons off to the same war. Uh, we've never had a war lasting this long. It says there will be earthquakes. Interesting that the Geological Society of America put this out in 2017. I'm just going to read the headline. A five-year forecast for increased global seismic hazard. The idea is that the next four years are supposed to be very, very interesting. Have you been watching what's going on in Hawaii? Is that the most fascinating thing? It's just, you know, you have earthquakes, you have the volcanic eruption, all of these things going. Well, the Bible says that these things are going to be like birth pangs. They're going to get closer and closer together and more and more intense. You've heard me say that it was in 2004 that in our generation it was the first time any of us had ever actually seen a tsunami. We'd never seen that before. For us, it was always something that happened on the other side of the world thousands of years ago, but not really in the modern world. But that was then. But then it was in 2011, all of a sudden we saw the same thing hit Japan. And if you were to go online right now to YouTube, there's an actual video that talks about five tsunamis caught on video. And uh, it's astonishing to see how many of these tsunamis are actually taking place in our world right now. So so these things are going to, as we get closer and closer, they're going to increase with greater intensity. So these are birth pangs, but they're not the sign. It's not yet the end. That's not the actual sign. It's also important to note that this list that we're given here is not an exhaustive list. We're going to find that the Bible will also talk about some other things that will take place. Next week we're going to talk about this, another sign of the last days. 
Paul would say it like this on your outline. You must understand this, that in the last days there will be violent periods of time. The idea is that there will be unique violence taking place, flying airplanes in the buildings, running people over with cars, beheadings, and all types of just strange, massive shootings and and all of those things. Now, the reason I say that is that when God says this is what is going to happen, that's not God saying, I'm inflicting this on you. God's just saying, these are the things that are going to take place. It's very much like here in South Florida where we have hurricane season, which started this week, by the way. Are you excited? So, so, so it, it started this week. So imagine you know, when, when uh, we see that there's something out there and the Weather Channel comes on and they're saying, hey, there's a couple of them stacked out there. They're all coming this way. We don't know if they're a one, a two, a three, a five. We don't know that. But we do know that they're coming this way. Some people would respond to hearing that saying, we need to protest the hurricanes, you know, and we need to take a stand against them. Uh, we need to have a stop the hurricanes campaign as they stand against it. Which, okay, but it might be wiser to just go ahead and prepare for that hurricane coming. And so when the Bible says some of these things are going to come, uh, you might want to think about how would I prepare knowing that some of these things are going to take place in my world, which could also affect me. So there on your outline just says these things are not the signs of the end, but will increase exponentially as we get closer to the end of the age. So they have asked, what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus is going to give an overview. He starts with that. And uh, I'm going to give you a punchline for next week when Jesus talks about the specific sign. Uh, We're not going to get there today, we will next week. But the sign of his coming, write this down, Israel becomes a nation again. Israel becomes a nation again. That's going to begin in Matthew 24, verse 32. We're going to go up to 31 today. It's talked about in Isaiah, it's talked about in the book of Ezekiel, it's the entire book of Revelation, talks about it. And again, we'll talk about that next week. So Jesus continues on with the overview, and in verse 9, I'm going to hold that this is where this event that's commonly referred to as the tribulation takes place. You have all these things taking place, more and more intense, and at a certain time there's this event called the tribulation. There uh, in your Bible, verse 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. There's a couple of things there. Sometimes people try to make this the the first uh, apostles' disciples. It's important to know that the first generation believers did not make it to all the nations. Uh, They weren't hated by all the nations. And uh, interesting what you'll find is when the believers went into a nation, there would be persecution but Christianity always grew faster than the persecution. So I'm going to suggest that yes, you could apply that, but it's not specifically talking about the first apostles. Uh, some say well, this is believers, those of us who are followers of Jesus. Well, certainly that, you know, we live in a day where people are hostile to be, being Christians, um, but this is very specific. They, you'll be hated by all nations, they will put you to death. That, that's not true of the apostles and it has not been specifically true of believers throughout the years. There has been persecution and hatred, but, but not all the nations kind of at once. Um, but he says, at that time, many uh, verse 9, they will deliver you to tribulation, will kill you, and you'll be hated by all the nations because of my name. 
So I'm going to suggest to you that this will apply specifically to the nation of Israel. Although you can apply it in different ways, he's going to be speaking about the nation of Israel, which did go into all the nations and for 2,000 years has encountered a great deal of persecution everywhere they've gone. So I'm going to suggest that this begins the seven-year tribulation. You might want to write that down. Now verse 10, he says, so at that time, this is a specific time that we're talking about many, my Bible says fall away, and we'll talk about that, and will betray one another and will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most, loves, most people's love will grow cold. Again, in this time period known as the tribulation, and that'll become clearer as uh, we go a few more verses, Verse 10, um, I put on your outline, in that time period, and then shall many be, if you have the King James, it will say offended and shall betray one another. My, my Bible says fall away, but the word there in the Greek is scandalizo, from where we get the word scandalized, they will be scandalized by, by the gospel, by Jesus in this time. And um, the idea is that when they hear of God, Jesus, the gospel, uh, instead of saying, I want that, their response is to be scandalized by that. And they'll say something like, how could a loving God, and they will reject him, and they will betray those who are following, which is a, a common trait in that time period of the tribulation. Now, verse 11, as they are rejecting Jesus, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. They will be looking for answers but they will be following false prophets. Verse 12, he says, because lawlessness is increased, which will definitely be a picture of the tribulation, most people's love will grow cold. There on your outline, verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. And that word for love is agape, uh, their, their love for God. So there's going to be a hostility. So in that time period of the tribulation, many will be coming to Jesus, many more will be rejecting, even though they have the opportunity. On the other hand, verse 13, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Endurance is going to be a big thing in that time period of the tribulation. They will not be enduring in their own strength. They will be enduring because they are empowered to endure. We would read this, it's not that they endure in their own strength to be saved, but um, they are enduring because they are saved. This is not speaking of you and I as the church now. This is after the church is removed in that time period called the tribulation. So the saved will endure, we would say. Verse 14, the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to, and you want to underline, all the nations and then the end will come. You will hear people say that before Jesus can come for the church that the gospel has to be preached to the whole world. That's not true. Before the end comes, the gospel will be preached. Uh, but that will not take place before Jesus comes for the church. That will take place before the end. In that time period of the tribulation, what we're going to find, write this down, during the tribulation the gospel will be preached to the whole world. 
And you see that written about in the book of Revelation. So the, this time period that's commonly referred to as the tribulation begins in Revelation chapter 6. In chapter 7, something interesting happens. God says, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And as you read the story, God empowers 144,000 Jewish guys uh, who now are believers to go into all the world in that time period of the tribulation, and they preach the gospel. They're going to be very effective. But um, notice the next verse, which also comes from the book of Revelation. Halfway through that time period of the tribulation, the way that the gospel is going to be preached to all the nations is going to go like this. Then I saw another angel flying in midair. And he had the, you want to underline, the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship, now please underline this, worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So when it says that the gospel will be preached, yes, but that will be fulfilled during that time period uh, that you and I would refer to as the tribulation. Did you notice that his eternal gospel attached to that is he calls them to believe in the God who, and we underline, uh, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, the springs, and the water? Did you see that? Apparently he feels that he needs to include that because possibly in that future time in the tribulation, people do not embrace that he is the one who created it all. So in order to receive him, you have to also receive the fact that he's the one who created it all. That makes sense? Do you find that interesting? Okay. So that would take us up to the middle point of the tribulation. Verse 15, it says, therefore, when you see, I've underlined, when you see the abomination of desolation. Now you're going, what is that? I don't know, but it sure is fun to say. Abomination. So we'll talk about that. Which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. Now this is Jesus, and he is talking, and he's laying this out. And so there's a couple of things here. First of all, when you hear of the abomination of desolations, what is that? Spoken by Daniel the prophet. There is, the Bible speaks about this one that you and I would refer to as the Antichrist. He's yet in the future. He's going to come on the scene after the church is removed. We'll talk about that in the next two weeks. And he is going to be received as the Messiah for the world. Everybody's going to look to him. It's going to be that one world government type thing. One of the things that he's going to do is for the nation of Israel, he's going to have a covenant, a treaty that allows the Jewish people to have their temple, not only their temple, but also to be able to worship, that is, have sacrifices in the temple. And what he does when it talks about the abomination of desolations at the halfway point through this time period called the tribulation, he would then go into the temple, set up his throne, and declare that everybody has to worship him. And that's the abomination of desolation. It's an abomination to God, and it makes it desolate in the sense that it makes the temple defiled is the idea. So spoken of by Daniel the prophet, there in your outline, Daniel chapter 9, 
he will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven. That's a seven-year time period. In the middle of the seven, three and a half years in, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So he's going to do this, and uh, halfway through, he's going to set up his throne. He gets about three and a half years, then he gets his, is the idea. So he will mandate that everybody worships him. Now another time in Daniel's prophecy, it says it like this. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, that's halfway through, and the abomination of desolation is set up, he sets up his throne, everybody's to worship him, there will be 1,290 days. Now we, we unpack that in other places. He still has another three and a half years is the idea. So Jesus says in verse 15, he says, now when you see, when you see, you and I live in the first generation where that could happen in Israel, in the temple, and it could be seen all the way around the world. Would you agree with that? And so here's what we know. Write this down. This will be televised. It'll be televised. Now when he says, when you see, this prophecy is all about the Jewish people, all about what's taking place with them. The church is removed. We'll talk about that next week. So this is the nation of Israel. Then he says, let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Uh, very interesting. How many of you have a red letter Bible where when, when Jesus is speaking, it's all in red? Okay. So when it says, let the reader understand, how many of your Bibles have that in red? Okay. Hold those hands up. Wave them. Okay, now how many of your Bibles, you have it in red, but that's not in red. That part let the, is in black. Okay, so let's let you know we are a red letter Bible people. So we would hold that there, and, and this is a debate, that Jesus has said, that Jesus has said, let the reader understand. The idea is he anticipates in the future, this will be written down, and he wants the reader to understand. Now, if you have, if it's in black, that's 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 fine. Uh, we would just hold that Jesus is speaking here, which is why some of your Bibles are in red. Why is that important? Jesus doesn't say, "Let the theologians understand." He says, "Let the reader understand." The idea is that in this time period, there's going to be those who will be reading this. And they're going to be seeing these things take place. They're going to read this. And Jesus says, you need to understand this. It's going to be very, very important. So far, so good? So now we go. He anticipates that. Now, there's a couple of things that are important for us. For this to happen, everything that we've just talked about, the abomination, desolations, and all that, first of all, uh, for this to happen, write this down, Israel will have to become a nation again. That happened in 1948. Israel is the only nation on the planet in the history of the world who was a nation, was not a nation for 2,000 years, becomes a nation again. Only God can do that. It's the most fascinating thing. Um, Israel will have to take control of biblical Jerusalem. Biblical Jerusalem. Uh, That's where the temple is. Now Israel took control of biblical Jerusalem in 1967. Kind of moving in that direction. Uh, Our country very recently recognized Jerusalem as the the capital of, of, uh, of, of Israel. Has a lot of people up in arms moving towards that time of the tribulation, I would say. And then the next thing that has to happen is there has to be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. 
No, that's not yet. You can't have the abomination that makes desolate unless there's a temple there in Jerusalem. So you, you want to keep your eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on Israel is the idea. Now, in this time period, he says, let, let the reader understand, verse 16, then those who are in Judea, I've underlined that, must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But, those who, and, and, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Verse 20, very important. Pray that your plight be not in the winter, underline that, or on a Sabbath, or on a Sabbath. So first of all, just to show you how Jewish this is, he says, those who are, verse 16, he says, but then those who are in Judea. Where is Judea? Well, on the map, Judea is the southern part of Israel. Does everybody see that? Southern part of Israel. And then you zoom in a little bit further and you find that Judea, it, just north where it says Judea, you have Jerusalem. Jerusalem is in the area of Israel called Judea. So those who are around at that time, when you see this, probably watching it on their computer, their smartphone, whatever it is, when you see this, get out, get out right now is the idea. Again, this does not pertain to the church. The church is not here. This is very, very Israel specific. Uh, verse 17, it says, those who are on the housetop. In, in the Middle East, it's very common for people to have on their housetop a place where they go outside at night, and that's where they, they kind of sit around and socialize, and it's, and it's kind of cool. But then in verse 20, I find very interesting, he says, but pray that your plight will not be in winter. Does everybody see that? What most of us are surprised to learn is that it snows in Israel in the wintertime, and sometimes it snows so bad that Israel is impassable. So we have a couple of pictures, and you should look this up. This is uh, the Dome of the Rock, and here's a Jewish guy walking by, and can you see that everything is covered in snow? And uh, the next picture, you have the picture of the Wailing Wall. This is the foundation of the temple, and the Temple Mound is on top. And this is where the Jewish people go to pray. And you can see the plants that are growing out of the walls. They're covered in snow. The snow is on the ground. The snow is on the roof. Um, it snows in Israel. So he says, pray that your plight be not in winter. How many of you today never knew that it snows in Israel? Good, we learned something. We can just close in prayer and go home. So that's good. You learned something. But then he says, um, pray not in winter. And then he says in verse 20, he says, pray that your plight be not in winter or on a Sabbath. And the reason this would not matter to you and I, because the Sabbath, we do whatever we do on the Sabbath, it's not a big deal. But in Israel, on the Sabbath, everything shuts down. Everything. There's nobody driving buses. You know, it's, it's just everything shuts down. So this would apply to the nation of Israel. So when you see this take place in the temple, get out and get out now. Why? Verse 21. He says, then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. You have, this begins what we call the great tribulation. So you have the tribulation as a seven-year time period. You have the first half, you have the second half. The second half is referred to as the great tribulation. So here's how it goes. And the first half of the tribulation, you have doom, despair, famine, you have 
pestilence, war, death, all of that. And then the second part of the tribulation, things get bad. So that's <laughs> the idea is it just gets more, more, and more is the idea. So the first three and a half years are bad, but the second three and a half years are so bad that if there wasn't an end to it, nobody would survive. That's how bad it's going to be. The elect that he's talking about here is not the church. Those are those who are coming to the Lord in this time period. Specifically, we would say the the people who would be of the nation of Israel. Verse 23, then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arrive and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Verse 25, Behold, I've told you in advance, those who are becoming believers in this time period will be reading this. And they will say, as they see somebody doing something, they'll say, wait, you're doing this? It's very impressive. But Jesus says that's what would be taking place. So they would not believe in those things. Verse 27, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will, the son, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be instantaneous. Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. We'll talk about that in a moment. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with, the pow- with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of the sky to the other. A couple of things. First of all, this is after that seven year tribulation. It will be like lightning when Jesus appears. It will be instantaneous. He will come in the clouds is the idea. And verse 28, he says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I've put there on your outline, it says Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. It describes that. It tells you who the vultures are and what they will be doing. And uh, you can read that later on when, when you get home. Verse 29, he says, immediately And then he says he will send forth his angels and will gather, verse 31, he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. This is not the church. It's not the event that we refer to as the rapture of the church. There will be his elect in this time period of the tribulation, specifically the nation of Israel. Throughout the Bible, it talks about in the end times or at the end, God will bring the nation of Israel complete into Israel. In 1948, Israel became a nation. From that time on, Jewish people have been traveling into Israel and and making that their place where they live. However, even though that has been taking place, there are still Jewish people all around the world. And they will be around the world until literally the end of that time period of the tribulation. But there will be that final gathering into Israel and that will be his elect. The church is removed much much sooner and we'll talk about that next week. Did you find that interesting today? 
Good, good. Thank you for uh, saying yes there because that would have been really awkward if you said no. (laughs) Next week, we're going to talk about the unique sign that Jesus points to that tells us that you can know what generation you are in. And I think you'll find it absolutely fascinating. We have talked about it several times in the past. So for some, it'll be brand new. For some, it'll be by way of review. Let's go ahead and, and close in prayer. Jesus, as we wrap this up today, our prayer is as we go back and we read through and you help us to rightly divide what's taking place. Today, you gave us the overview. And uh, Lord, we are here today because we believe that what you say is absolutely true and that we can bank our entire lives and our eternity on what you've said. Your word tells us that we're going to see some things that are unique. And and yet you tell us that we're not to be deceived by these things and we're not to be afraid of these things. So as we go forward, we pray, and as we look at what your word says about these, these times, Lord, that you would continue to make it more and more clear to us And then as you make it clear to us, we pray that you would use us to share with those who are ready to hear, who are looking around and saying, what in the world is going on? And that you would use us to open up your word and say, it's just what the Bible said. And I pray, God, that you would use us in your word and your spirit to open the eyes of the people around us so that they could come into a relationship with you and walk with you. I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.